Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. Within the core of Anselm's monologion, he engages in some pretty sustained discussions that have to do with time and with place, and also with what we call eternity and ubiquity in chapters 18 through 24. Now, he also says that, although he's bringing together these two considerations of time and space, that the arguments pertaining to them can go off in different directions. And that is what we're trying to do here, in part because it makes it a little bit easier to follow what's, what's going on. So we're going to look here at eternity and how that plays out for when God would be in the monologium. Let's start then with chapter 18, where Anselm first brings up this problem. He's already established that eternity is one of the divine attributes. As we saw in the previous core concept videos, God is, not, not just in the sense of having a quality, but God is whatever it is better in, in an unqualified way to be than not to be, according to Anselm. So eternity is one of those things. And he says, from what time has this so simple nature, the creator and sustainer of all things, existed? Until what time will he continue to exist? Or does he indeed exist, not from some time and until some time, but rather without beginning and without end? Now, this is already sort of well, long established Christian doctrine, but remember, Anselm is concerned here not just with engaging in, say, apologetics of trying to, you know, make sure that, that people will accept that doctrine, but he's concerned with understanding what's actually going on, and exposing whatever sort of paradoxes or contradictions might arise, and then seeing if he can resolve them. It's a very bold step on his part. So, he's going to argue that because God exists or is per se, that is, from himself or from itself, God cannot have a beginning because that would be contrary to the very notion of having being per se, that is, from himself. He says, if he has a beginning, either he has it from himself or through himself, or he has it from another or through another. And you could say, well, clearly if God is already agreed to be per se, it can't be that God would then have his or its beginning from another because that would make God ontologically dependent on that other. We've already ruled that out earlier on in the monologian, but perhaps that beginning could be per se or from itself, right? So how does Anselm deal with this? He says he can't have a beginning from himself or through himself, although he does exist from himself and through himself. Why? He exists from himself and through himself in such a way that the essence he is through himself and from himself is no way different from the essence through which and from which he exists. So it's not as if God, you know, has, you can't separate out parts of God and say, well, first this part existed, and then that's the part that, you know, the rest of the existence is from. God simply is, and there is no beginning to it, you know, given this conception. What about having an end? 
Could we imagine that the divine substance would, in some way, cease existing? And Anselm says, it's more interesting argument here. Well, if, if that were to happen, it would either have to be voluntarily on the part of the divine substance, or it would have to be involuntary. Now, if it's involuntary, you're not really dealing with the divine substance, because you know, given all of the attributes that we've already sort of charted out, for the divine substance to be able to suffer being made to not exist by something else would be a lack of power. And we've already declared in the previous chapters that God is all-powerful. So it's not as if God could be overcome and forced not to exist. If that happens, that's not even God, according to Anselm, as he says in other places. What about voluntarily? This raises some interesting questions. Could God actually say, well, the, you know, the height of power is to be able to not exist or to make oneself not exist? That wouldn't actually make sense according to Anselm's conception. Why not? It's not that, as he will do in other places, Anselm will point out an internal inconsistency in that very logic. Instead, he will talk about other goods. He says, he who is assuredly is the supreme good will not perish voluntarily. Why? Because that by whose will the supreme will perishes is not an unqualified good. But he is an, an unqualified good. He is what is best to be in many respects. So God is also the source of, of the goodness of other good things. This would be for the height of goodness to will itself out of existence, for that which makes other things good to decide that it would be best or better <laughs> to not exist. So Anselm sees that as absurdity. He's also got a really interesting argument in there about truth that is going to be referenced in the De Veritate later on. Now remember, we said that the God not only is eternity and reason and wisdom and all that, but that God is also truth, veritas. And Anselm makes this interesting argument that he doesn't follow up on here, where he says, is there ever a time when truth doesn't exist? You can't actually decide that in favor of that proposition. Why not? Because if you were to say truth does not exist, you could ask, well, is that a true statement? If it is a true statement, then truth does indeed exist at that time. So Anselm's way of dealing with this is to say truth is actually, with a capital T, the truth that all other truths participate in, and we'll talk much more about this in the Dei Veritate videos, is itself eternal. It doesn't have a beginning or an end. The upshot of that is that there isn't really any time when God began or any time when God will leave off. Now, in chapter 20, he is going to... I'm skipping over some discussion about the nothing involved, which is very interesting, but perhaps I'll do another core concept video about it. Chapter 20, he's arguing that God exists in every time and every place. And he's saying that the way we can think of this is everywhere and always. Why is this? He says, well, God could exist in three different ways. He could exist nowhere and never, right? That doesn't really make sense, although he's going to come back to that very soon. He could exist somewhere and at some time, like, for example, this book does, or, or I do. I was born in 1970. I, you know, you could say, well, I existed while I was being conceived and carried, so I, I suppose for a portion of 69 as well. But in 1968, it did not exist. 
And if, say, we identify my life with my body, probably by 20, 2070, right? I'll probably not exist. I don't think I'll live to 100. Created things are bound to particular times and places, and they may encompass a lot. Think about a mountain that encompasses a lot of space and also encompasses vast amounts of time. It is not completely ubiquitous or eternal, though. So somewhere and someplace. And then there's the possibility of existing everywhere and at every time. So he says, what, what seems more absurd than this? That he who exists supremely and most truly exists nowhere and never? So it's false that he exists nowhere and never. That eliminates one possibility. And then he says, further, since no good thing exists without him, he, if he exists nowhere and never, every good thing exists nowhere and never, and absolutely everything exists nowhere and, and never. So that means that nothing is going to be good or have the good of existence. So he says, well, perhaps he exists determinately somewhere and someplace. If that's the case, then we've got a problem. God only exists in that spot or at that point in time or interval of time. What does that mean? That has implications not only for the divine, but for everything else. Because remember, everything else in Anselm's metaphysics is in a multiplicity of ways dependent upon the divine substance, not only for its being, but for its goodness and for all of the other divine attributes in which it participates. So that Anselm's argument is essentially this. If God exists in just a restricted space, or in not what we're interested in here, in an interval of time, that means that outside of that, God doesn't exist, and nothing in that time participates in the divine. That would be a major problem. So he goes on and he says... Since this is false, right, the supreme nature cannot exist determinately somewhere or sometimes. And if it's said that through himself he exists determinately at a certain time, but through his power he exists wherever and whenever anything exists, that is not true. This is another option that people would probably take metaphysically to say, well, you know, God exists at a certain time, but his power exceeds that interval and pervades all time, right? Anselm says, no. Because this power is nothing other than God. It's not as if God has a sort of power that is beyond God. God is what God is, including the power that, that God exercises. Now, in chapter 21, we're going to get an even more interesting wrinkle introduced here. Anselm is asking about God's existence. Does God exist as a whole? at individual times? Or does God exist, this sliver of God, at this time? And if we think about what we're talking about here, it's a question, does God exist in the way that, say, human beings exist? I am the same person who I was 20 years ago in several important ways, but in other important ways, I'm not that same person. There is a continuity through time of these states. And I don't want to get too deep into the metaphysics of time here and other theories, but here's generally how it works. Um, human beings or, or other things are, are seen as being sort of like, you know, slivers that inhabit particular moments in the time continuum, going from past into the future, you know, with the future things flowing this way, right? Could God be like that, Anselm is asking? Does God exist as a whole at individual times or just as a part? 
So this, like I put here, raises all sorts of problems that we're going to now chart out. This also is going to lead him to what seems to be a paradoxical conclusion that God, in some way, might exist nowhere and never. That would be, that would be a complete contradiction of saying that God exists everywhere and always. If we follow the argumentation in chapter 21, it's, it's useful to think in terms of the traditional timeline distinguishing the three times that in Western metaphysics, probably most Eastern metaphysics as well, we think in terms of a past, a present, and a future. And like Anselm says, we can think of things in the past as having existed, things in the present as existing in the present, and then future things do not yet exist, but will exist. And we can look at it in terms of things maybe moving forward into time. That's what this arrow. But we can also see the time itself as sort of like sweeping over us. So we're, we're constantly having time roll us into the future, right? Two different perspectives on, on exactly the same phenomenon. Something that, by the way, is a very tricky thing to wrap your head around. Now, he says, we must investigate whether the supreme nature exists as a whole at individual times, either all at once or distinctly at individual times. So he asks them, how does something exist as a whole at individual times all at once if those times themselves do not exist? Now, what does he mean by that? Well, what we're calling the past no longer, strictly speaking, exists. At least it doesn't exist in the present. By the way, if you're interested in his speculations about time and eternity, you can also look forward to the De Concordia, one of the last works that Anselm wrote, but I'm going to leave that out here. And likewise, the future doesn't exist yet. When it does exist, the future will actually be present, and what we're calling present now will be in the past. So how does a thing that exists at all times exist in times that don't yet or have or don't any longer exist. So Anselm goes on and he says, if his life is produced by means of the flow of times, then God has a past and present and future along with those times. And he says, since his eternity is nothing other than his essence, if his eternity had a past, present, and future, it follows that his essence also has a past, present, and future. Now, this is going to lead us to, to some, some problems, Anselm points out. So that way of thinking about it must be in some way mistaken. And he says, how can it be that God has no present if he truly exists? But he existed signifies the past, and he will exist signifies the future. So in that case, we would have to say he never existed and never will exist. And this would mean that he does not exist as a whole at individual times, either distinctly all at once. But that seems to be a problem, right? Because then we end up with a divine substance that, like a human being, is scattered across something. That would go against the divine simplicity, wouldn't it? We would have a composite being. So he goes on further and he says, If he does not in any way exist everywhere and always, either he exists determinately in some place or time, or he exists in no place. And, and, and I've shown he cannot ex determinately exist in some place or time, some time slice along here, where only this time slice would have the fullness of the divine being. So then we're stuck with no place and no time. That seems to be very problematic for reasons that we've already talked about. Is there any way out of this sort of intellectual predicament? Anselm, as he will so often do, will actually refocus the problem by pointing out that we've made a, an assumption 
that we weren't really entitled to make, that we don't have sufficient reason to. And that is, as will so often be the case, we made a big assumption that we can look at the way things work for created beings and then say, well, it's exactly like that for God. There is a difference that we have overlooked here. So he says that, how can these two conclusions be reconciled? Well, perhaps the supreme nature exists in place or time in such a way that does not prevent him from existing as a whole all at once in individual times or places, but not so that there's several holes located at different times, right? He says this law of place and time seems to constrain only those things that do exist in place or time in such a way that they do not transcend the expanse of space or the duration of time. But God is one of those things that does transcend the duration of time. Why? Because God is eternity. And eternity transcends the entirety of space and time. So he goes on and he says that if we look at it in these two different ways, it really is the case that God does not exist everywhere. God exists nowhere in a certain sense because God doesn't exist anywhere as something that is constrained to, or any time because God doesn't exist as something that is constrained to that time. You might say that God overflows any sort of time that you want to put him into, if you want to think of this in terms of containers. On the other hand, God does exist in every place or time. And so Anselm is going to suggest to us that the resolution to this problem lies in thinking a little bit more about the nature of eternity and getting away from the, the sloppiness of our ordinary language and thinking about this. He says, if our ordinary way of speaking permitted, it would seem more appropriate to say that God exists with a time or place rather than in a time or place. So God doesn't exist at a particular point in time. God exists with that point of time. He, as Anselm will say, pervades it. And he pervades all time. Because all time is actually... Here, here's a very important point. It's not that eternity is simply all the times rolled up together. Eternity is a sort of present that's more present than the present that enfolds all of the times. And that is what God is. So it's not that God is present at any point in time by being there just at that point in time or interval of time. It's rather that because God is, not even so to speak, in eternity, God is eternity, that every single moment, God is with it. And here we start to get to the point of sort of the limits of our comprehension, thinking about how precisely that would be. That is something very staggering. But this is a, a set of meditations as well as a set of arguments. So it's something that Anselm thinks is worth us mulling over and reflecting upon. The upshot of this is he says, it's evident how the supreme essence of all exists always as well as never. That is both in every time and in no time, according to a harmonious truth understood in different ways. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. 
Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works. <laughs>